0: Returning to Psalm 66 and our continued study on the theme of prayer, I want us to consider just a portion of the psalm, but we want to read all of it. Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. You know that Hebrew expression means pause and think of that. Concentrate on that. Think about what just has been said. And he's speaking of a future time when all the earth will worship the Savior. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. And there did we rejoice in him. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. This is a second of three times where he tells us stop and think about that. O oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, has proved us, Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats, Selah. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. What he, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. This psalm is anonymous in its human author, but many believe it was written by godly king Hezekiah after the final overthrow of Sennacherib at the gates of Jerusalem. It is referred to, though, as a millennial psalm. We see that much of what it's referring to is yet future looking to a time when christ will literally reign on earth and if so psalm 66 65 66 67 68 these four are all millennial psalms a quartet of millennial psalms if you will but i want us because of our study on prayer to focus on the last three verses of this psalm and here we see specifically spelled out for us in language that no one can misunderstand that there is a, a hindrance to our prayer. We certainly want to be heard. And God tells us over and over again that he does hear. But here the psalmist points out a hindrance to prayer. We might refer to it as a divine withholding. What a warning. When we read verse 18, it ought to cause us to stop and pause and to look deep in our hearts. God withholding his blessing. Keeping back that the answer to our plea. We see over and over again in the Bible where God hears the prayers of his people. Elisha prayed that God would open the eyes of his companions to see what magnificent and invincible forces protected them in 2 Kings 6. David in 2 Samuel 15 prayed that God would turn the wicked counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness when he joined with David's rebellious son Absalom. and God answered that prayer by sending a man named Hushai to dis- defeat that counsel. Hezekiah prayed when the army of the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem in 2 Kings 17-19. through His prayer was answered instantly and miraculously. Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 2 that when he needed wisdom to decipher the king's uh, dream, he asked the Lord for wisdom and God answered promptly and told him what the answer to his dream was. Daniel prayed when he faced Many, many years later when he faced the lions in the lion's den and the Lord stayed their, their mouths and caused them not to devour him. Ezra prayed for divine protection when he led a contingent of Jews back to Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 8. Nehemiah prayed when the word came that Jerusalem was in a desolate condition back in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. The Psalms are full of answered prayers and they're full of prayers that the the different uh, authors prayed but what a privilege we have in prayer we sing that don't we what a friend we have in jesus all of our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to god in prayer and we sang the first song tonight i must tell jesus all of my troubles who else will we tell those innermost problems and faults and sins and secrets and fears there are things that we tell him that we would tell no human person, no, nobody, even the closest of those to us. We're commanded in the Scriptures to pray and to pray without ceasing and to be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your requests be made known unto God. And then we have uh, such invitations from the Lord as we see in Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Psalm 10 verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their hearts, thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. Psalm 57 verse 2, I will cry unto the Lord most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Psalm 10 verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt bow down to hear. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. And then in Psalm 65, verse 2, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. And of course, our Lord, the great example in John 15, verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And, and these verses don't even scratch the surface. We've looked at countless verses and, and portions of Scripture on the theme of the invitations to pray, the commands for us to pray, the blessings promised for answered prayer. But God never violates any of his principles to fulfill his promises we need to remember that a promise of god is never violated it's not an unconditional uh, uh, blank check these are glorious promises he does tell us to call and he will answer he does say whatsoever you pray in my name i will hear it but he never violates his other conditions his other promises taught in the scripture to to answer these And so, to save us, to start with, he must deal with our sin, doesn't he? There's a big problem that God's love cannot save us without our sin being dealt with. He can only do that in such a way so as not to violate any of his other attributes. He cannot overlook sin. So, what does he do? He he justifies the believing sinner. He declares us righteous. But upon what basis? We're not righteous, are we? We're desperately wicked. But the scripture says that he can justify the the ungodly. How does he do that? First, he must put on our account the merits of another, the work of his son, the perfect son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us in Romans, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of god to declare i say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in jesus christ so he not only justifies but he's, he justifies us but he's justified in doing so by the work of the lord jesus christ but in doing that god does not violate his perfection calvary settles the sin problem and when we come to him by faith we are the bible tells us we are made the righteousness of god in him and there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus and then we see a condition and a description of those who are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit that describes those who are in christ jesus their life the bent of their life will be in following the lord jesus christ Our judicial standing, then, is secure in the courtroom of heaven, declared righteous by a righteous judge. We are in Christ. But what of our practical experience now in our daily life? One of the disciplinary measures that God gives, one of the great privileges to his children is answered prayer. And at the same time, the other side of that that coin, if you will, One of the the disciplinary measures that God uses to correct us as his children is the withdrawal of his blessing, the withholding of His, the enjoyment of his presence. Oh, he's there. The Bible, he's promised, hasn't he? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. But at times, because of our sin, and are not dealing with our sin, as the scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It may not feel like that he is near on our part. And again, that's one of the disciplinary measures that God gives us to correct us and to bring us back into fellowship. It may seem as if God is a million miles away, that the heavens are brass, as someone has described it, and that the unthinkable uh, discipline, that divine reproof, that our prayer is not heard. One of the the worst things, as far as on our part, is the Lord not hearing our prayer. But we praise His name as His children. We have an audience with the King. And the Bible is very clear about this. Now, how He dealt with His Son who became sin for us on the cross when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see this very principle there. God in His justice turns there's no answer from heaven when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He does not answer that, that prayer, if you will, that plea from God the Son. God could not look on the sin that was transferred to him. From our account to his account, he became our scapegoat. as In the Old Testament, the priest would lay his hand symbolically on a goat and uh, that the sins would be transmitted from the the, 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 the sinner to the, the, the goat. And the goat would be pitifully let out in the wilderness to wander. He was called the scapegoat. And our, our Lord is a picture of that at Calvary. The psalmist plainly tells us here, doesn't he, in verse 18. Oh, mark it. What an important verse. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible is a sobering verse. It ought to, to serve to correct us and to make us examine ourselves. This is true of the Old Testament saint. And it is true of the New Testament believer. We may trifle with sin, but God never does. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't overlook it. He always deals with it and tells us to as well. Now, we see in verse 16... The psalmist testifying. Look at what he says. Come and hear all ye that fear the Lord. I will declare what he has done for my soul. He's having a testimony service in verse 16. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And that's what we are all been left here to do. God does not save us and immediately transfer us to heaven. He leaves us here. He saves us. He indwells us with his spirit. And he leaves us here to testify for him. That's why we're here. To glorify God and to tell others of the salvation that he gives come and hear all you that fear God I will declare what he hath done for my soul there's nothing more joyous than to hear testimonies in a prayer meeting of those who have had answered prayer oh the Lord answered our prayer daily we receive requests from our radio listeners and, and you folks as well and And I love to hear, thank you for praying. God has answered my prayer. And they write out the answer, so so is saved, or this one got a job, or whatever the thing had been that we were praying. I remember one lady praying, I cannot tell you how many years. She wrote out the same request every month, pray that we will have a child. I remember for years. And then I remember her writing and saying, thank, this was, again, several years ago. Praise the Lord. The Lord has heard our prayer. We're expecting our first child. And then I remember not long after that her writing and saying that she had lost that child. So this woman who'd written for years, we'd prayed, she was expectant with child, then the child died, and then. but since then, it's been several years, she's had several children. And just as to read those prayer cards and, and see the history and, and of what the Lord has done, how, how gracious he is. We love to hear answered prayers, and those can testify. We're to spend our days telling others this very thing. Remember the woman at the well? She met the Lord Jesus, and she went home saying, Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever I did. Is he not the Christ? Only the Messiah, only the promised one could know everything. He had never met me. Can you imagine her telling the story? He'd never met me, and yet he knew everything about me. You have to come see this guy. Now, that ought to be our testimony. We have met the Savior, and we want others to know him. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. She went and told them about Jesus, and they came to see what she was talking, who she was talking about. We see here in verse 17, the psalmist praises him. I cried unto the Lord with my mouth, and he was extolled, or he was lifted up with my tongue. And again, that's why we're here as well. We've just done that in our singing. We've sung truths about the Savior tonight. His answering prayer and our need to, to, to be near Him. And we we exhorted one another with, the, with our singing. And we're left here to testify to others. And part of that uh, is in, in our praise to Him. And then we come to verse 18. He's testified in verse 16. Come and hear what the Lord has done. In verse 17, He tells, I've cried with Him with my voice. He was extolled with my tongue. And then the warning comes. Sandwiched here between these promises, we see this sobering verse. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I want you to notice that this verse does not say the Lord cannot hear me, does it? It doesn't say if I regard sin unconfessed, undealt with sin in my heart, the Lord cannot hear me. That's not what he says. He says, If I regard iniquity in the, my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is a judicial decision. This is a willful uh, decision by the Creator God of the universe that He will not hear us. He determines not to hear us. It reminds us of James 4. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. You're off base in your asking, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, and he's speaking of spiritual adultery. You know not that the friendship of the world is enmity or hatred or warfare with God. Whosoever therefore will be a a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain or for nothing? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. It's the same concept as we see in, in, in Psalm uh, 66, verse 18. The Lord will not hear me. And James tells us God resists the proud. And the word resist there in the Greek is like a military term with all the, the, the soldiers arrayed in, in line against the enemy. We say, if God be for us, who could be against us? And then we read here, if I regard or if I, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So this withholding, this God not choosing not to hear us is a disciplinary measure that our Heavenly Father takes in dealing with his children. The Father in Heaven from which he is the fount of every blessing that comes our way. Now, notice secondly what the, the psalmist has to say. If I regard iniquity in my heart. We use that word, you may use it at the closing of a letter, kindest regards, or send my regards to, you may be talking to someone, and you send my regards to your wife or your husband. What do, we know what we mean by that. My affection, uh, my, uh, my esteem of them. When you tell someone to remember or express my regards to them, that's showing that you hold them in a high position in your heart and mind, and you want them to be remembered. This word, regard, if I regard iniquity in my heart, in the Hebrew is an an interesting word. It literally means or has the connotation of to advise oneself. Now think about it. We need advice from the Lord. We need the Lord's counsel. But here the word here, regard, means advising myself and to approve of. In other words, we've come to the conclusion about something. It passes the test it passes our approval. We have advised ourselves and we think it's okay. And so it passes. We give it a pass. Sometimes we use that term, you know, give me a pass, give me a break. Uh, If we regard someone, as I've already mentioned, we approve of them. They have our okay. It, It means to consider something, to discern it, to enjoy, to provide for, to respect it. Now, think of that in this context. If I respect sin in my life if i approve of it if i make allowance for it if i give it a place somehow we foolishly think advise ourselves that our sin is not so bad in god's sight after all nobody's perfect we have all those that self-talk and reasonings that satan gives us that uh, gives us a pass well you can't expect me to be perfect i hear people say or, this is who I am. This is the way I am. There's all kinds of reasonings or excuses for sin in our life. Or it's not that big of a deal. Sin that, This sin is not so bad. No one is perfect. We could, you can could think of several of those kinds of things that, that we may say in the, the privacy of our heart and mind. By the way, here there's another word we need to examine here in verse 18. If I regard iniquity. Now, There are several words for sin in the Bible. Sin, transgression, iniquity, wickedness. Here the word means, the word iniquity means abject wickedness or vanity or nothingness. It can also refer to something that has become an idol or unrighteousness. If I regard an idol in my heart, if I regard wickedness or useless things that God would not approve of that have no place in eternity, or nothingness, all those things would fit in this warning here. When we regard someone or something or make provision for it or excuse for it or overlook it or give it uh, into it or give it a pass, we enjoy it, we meditate on it, we plan for it. We provide for it. We might would do it if we could get by with it. All those kind of things uh, is what is in mind here. Some f- foolishly reason, well, if I don't actually do the, th- the sin, then I'm not guilty of it. But I can play with it in my mind. I can entertain myself. I can picture myself in that situation, enjoying that sin, although I would never do it. That was what... The religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing, and he 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 rude, not rudely, he abruptly told them that that was the same as committing the sin. But you see, somehow we reason a way that if we were not literally doing the thing, whatever it may be, perhaps it's fancying ourselves to be much higher than what we really are, better person than what we really are, or more spiritual than what we are. We could go on and on, but the Bible says in Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh. We don't plan for it. We don't give it a pass. We don't, we don't give it a, an opening or a possibility. We stay as far away from it as we can, especially those besetting sins as the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Don't make it easy for yourself to sin. Don't make a plan or a provision in your daily living for sin or indulging in the flesh, even in your mind or heart. And this is where we have to be so careful about what we entertain ourselves with. Because sometimes we sin vicariously and and, and pride ourselves in not actually doing that or being that way, although we're being entertained by it. And Romans chapter 1 addresses that. Not only are those who do these things guilty, but those who take pleasure in them that do them would it grieve the Lord that's a question we ought to constantly keep before us so many people ask the question what's wrong with something instead the question should be what's right about it number one and number two does it would it grieve the Lord would this thought this indulgence this sin grieve the Lord if the answer is yes then stay away from it neither give place to the devil ephesians 4:27 Make no provision for the flesh, Romans thirteen fourteen. Neither give place. That word is, means territory, an inroad, right-of-way. You've heard the illustration, I'm sure, if you had 40 acres of, of property, but you sold an acre in the middle of that 40 acres, by law, you must give that person that you sold that acre to. They have to have a right-of-way. They have to be able to get into it and out of it. And when we sin, we give Satan... A right away into our lives and you heard it again the, the the camel ever gets his foot in the in the tent he comes into the tent and so we have to be very careful don't give him one inch of territory not even a fraction of an inch or right away into your heart and that's where sin is regarded approved of in the mind the heart provided for there in the heart If I regard iniquity, what does it say? In my heart. This is not picturing someone who's out living in blatant sin, someone practicing a a horrible lifestyle. This is someone whose thought life and inner life is not what it should be. What a declaration. If I regard, plan for, approve of, give myself a pass in some area, then the Lord will not hear me. The greatest privilege in all the world is to have the creator God of the universe hear our prayer and answer them. Who does great and mighty things which we know not. And the thing which halts his arm in his hand of blessing is this very thing. The old Puritan writer says, If you listen to the devil, God will not listen to you. If you refuse to hear God's commands, he will surely refuse to hear your requests. Well, we might ask the question about regarded sin. sin. Probably the biggest reason that, that believers' prayers are not answered is for this very thing. We regard sin, first of all, when we practice it secretly. I've already alluded to this. Or we're not afraid of the omniscient God of the universe, seeing the searcher of hearts and before whom nothing is hid, seeing in our heart and mind that sin that is regarded. Secondly, we regard sin when we entertain and indulge the desire of sin. We fantasize and would actually engage in it if we could get by with it. This is a very serious matter, and we must look at it closely. We regard sin when we reflect upon past sin with delight or continued uh, remorse over it. There may have been a time or season of sin the Lord has saved us from in an earlier stage of life, We may not be there or that person anymore, but we go back there in our hearts and minds and relive it. Every spiritual Christian is perpetually grieved over past sins. Number four, we regard sin when we look upon the sins of others with approval or excuse. I'm amazed that that Christians sometimes will know what the Scripture says and have a position until it comes home. And if it's a a child or a family member, then all of a sudden they change that biblical position uh, uh, that that the Bible is very clear of. We regard sin when we look upon the sins of others with approval. We regard sin in our hearts when we are reluctant or unwilling for God to thoroughly search us and try us. Which ought to be the daily, hourly prayer of all of us, especially when we come to a prayer meeting. We're asking the Lord to meet our needs and the needs of the ministry here. Lord, search me Every prayer meeting ought to be a mini revival to the extent that we're asking the Holy Spirit of God to show us and to remove anything of our life that would hinder his answering prayer in our lives or hinder the blessing of the whole church. Remember Jonah on that ship to Tarshish, not only just affected himself, he caused a whole ship full of sailors to be lives to be at stake and and to suffer because of his sin. God Look in verse 19, the, the, the psalmist testifies, but verily God hath heard me. We see that sober warning in verse 18, but he comes back and says, but praise the Lord. Truly, verily means truly, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. He gives us this warning under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he comes back and says, I want you to know the Lord has heard me. In verse 20, bless, look at this this Benediction. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from him. The casual Christian will become a casualty. A Christian who does not walk circumspectly, who does not weigh these matters, who does not uh, examine those areas in life. Now, listen, there's never a stage, you never get so far in grace where. And never are saved so long that it doesn't become possible, possible for you and for me to get to that place where we do regard some area of our life. This is okay. I mean, let's not get uptight about this. And we make an excuse for it. No. There's no excuse for sin. And the only thing to be done with sin is to confess it and forsake it. If we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen folks. Too much is at stake here. For us to play around with sin. Samson played around with sin. And we see where it led him. Or David. We could give example after example. The Bible has filled with him lots, lot. Obviously got to the place where he regarded or just excused a whole lot. To justify where he was. And what he was subjecting his family to. No true believer can, can live that way without the Lord dealing with them. The warning itself ought to be so fearful that the flashing light here, this is one of those flashing lights in the scripture. If we hear the bridge is out, why would we continue on that road and go down it? If there's a warning, don't go on this road, danger ahead, high voltage, whatever those kind of signs ought to cause us to stop, consider it carefully. And to turn around and go the other direction. This is one of those flashing warnings in the scripture. We have countless wonderful promises. That God will hear and answer prayer. One of the birthrights. One of the proofs that we've truly been saved. Is that God answers prayer. And as his children we ought to have prayers answered. We ought to be able to testify. Oh let me tell you what the Lord has done. This and this and this. But. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me what is the what is the answer? We must confess that sin, remove the 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 hindrance, and the opposite is true. If I confess sin, the Lord will hear us. He will hear me. God hath heard me says in verse nineteen, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer blessed be god which hath not turned away my prayer nor his mercy on me i think the psalmist is speaking from experience don't you i think that if this is king hezekiah or whoever the human author is has learned this in the school of hard knocks he went to the school of experience and he there was a time where he got slack where he made a a pass for himself where he regarded sin to some degree. He may not have practiced it openly, but his attitude toward it changed. He gave himself a pass. He was easy on himself. His thought life, his entertainment, something was not up to par. And he learned firsthand what he's writing about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he he was a time in his life where he did regard sin. And there was a time where the Lord did not hear him. For a year after David's sin with Bathsheba, and he, he justified and explained that away in that moment, there was a whole year where David did not, uh, he did not rule. He was a king who was not fulfilling his duties. How could he, when someone would bring a case before him that of stolen property or whatever it was, he had... So violated in so many different areas. David would say, I'll hear that at some other time. I don't want to talk about it. He'd put it away, put it away. For a year, this man who recorded much of the Psalms, the human instrument for writing much of the Psalms, and we have so many of his prayers. We use so many of David's prayers, but there was a year where the Lord did not hear him. Oh, what a sad thing for a believer to go one day, one hour, one moment without the face of the Lord turned toward us? How could we even walk without the Lord hearing us? Now, I want to be clear this is a practical, this is a relational thing. It does not change our, our standing before the Lord as his child, but it certainly changes our relationship on a daily basis, doesn't it? The harmony, the peace, the fellowship. The answered prayer blessed be god which hath not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from him yes the bible says god does resist the proud but what is the the the, the other side of that that god gives grace to the humble well, let's go before.